welcome back once again to Rhythms of Grace. Uh, my name is Nate, Executive Pastor at Grace Church, and I'm here with Sung, who is the lead pastor of Grace Church. And here in Season 2, we are talking about knowing ourselves, right, in mm-hmm. lots of different ways. Um, and uh, at the previous episode, we talked about how knowing ourselves can help us know God better. Um, and at the very end, I, I, w- I suddenly realized that we hadn't really talked about the opposite, which is also true, which is that knowing God can help us know ourselves better. And uh, so I thought about that. I kind of chewed on that all week. And the example that came to mind, as, as, as I've said before, you know, I live um, in an old uh, farmhouse on an old farm, and really nothing is straight. None of the walls are square. None of the floors are flat. You know, none of the walls are plumb. <laughs> it's true. I've been there. <laughs> it's right. If you, if you like, drop a marble, then you got like, to chase it across the house or whatever. Um, but one of the things that, we, that I try to do when I'm remodeling that building is bring things as close to sort of like square or level and plumb as I can, because it just makes everything easier. You know, if you're going to hang a cabinet on a wall, it's really nice to have the wall be straight. Um, (laughs) But one of the things that I was realizing is that, you know, knowledge of God is in some ways like that plumb line, or it's like the level that kind of tells you where the standard is. And where our lives misalign with that, uh, sometimes the problem is really obvious. You know, sometimes, you know, the, the root of, of where your life does not align with sort of the, the image of wholeness that God puts out there for us or God demonstrates, sometimes it's really obvious. Like I pulled up the floor in our bathroom and some of the floor joists were cut like all the way through. So guess what? That floor is going to slope, right? It's really obvious. But sometimes you'll, you'll put, a, you know, a, a plumb line against a wall and it's not straight and you're not sure why. Could it be that, you know, the foundation is shifting? It could be all these different things. And so in some ways, having God as that plumb line, as that standard, lets us know, oh, here's a place where you may need to find out something more about yourself. You may have to do a little digging, but for some reason, in some way, your life isn't aligning with the wholeness that God intended. So that's really all I wanted to say about that, that that, that it flows both ways. And And I think that's a really great thing about, uh, this conversation, just that, that we can increase our knowledge of self and our knowledge of God and vice versa, back and forth. Yeah, and I think it's like you were saying, again, the Enneagram is uh, a tool that can help us know when we are drifting from the gospel. Yeah. A- and it also points, uh, uh, sheds light in your own heart, and it shows you the way to to become more whole, to become the, the person God created you to be. So, so it's, it's only knowledge of God that one both exposes the brokenness inside of you, but also points uh, and really shows the beauty that, that he's uh, inherently uh, designed you to be. Yeah, what can be. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So we're talking about the Enneagram um, kind of specifically. Um, in future episodes, we're going to go like, number by number or step by step, but, but today it's like an overview, right? Yeah. So just an overview, it's kind of a cursory look at, uh, the, the, the Enneagram each, we'll go through each number really briefly and just some guidelines as yeah. you, uh, use this tool. Cause there's all just a lot of abuses and a lot of bad practices sure. out there. So can we start for somebody who's never heard of the Enneagram before? Mm-hmm. What, what is it exactly? So it's a, it's like a ancient typology 
um, that's that that that's a used for a tool for personal growth, spiritual growth. Um, and this is just audio, so we can't put up a, a visual of it. But like, if you were to look at the Enneagram as a tool, what you would see is a round circle, and you would see the number nine, you know, up on top, and then going clockwise one through eight. Mm. And um, there's a lot more intricate nuances to that, but that's basically um, like a it's. A, a, um, a visual of what the tool is like. Yeah, so it's essentially nine types that people more or less will find themselves aligning with one of those numbers or maybe two of those numbers. And by knowing that, you can sort of identify where you need to grow or what your strengths are or, um, but it's more than that. It's not just behavior. And I know you want to talk about that too. Mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I would even say too, as we go through the nine types, it, like, and if you, if you're like, well, I don't know, how, how can you put me in, you know, pigeonhole me? Like as we go through each type, just try to find one that you resonate with. Yeah. You don't have to be like, Oh, that's yep. exactly like me. Right. Uh, and we'll talk about this too, because that journey to discovering your type it, it can be a long one. For some, it's really easy. For others, like theirs, it, it, it's a journey. Yeah, I mean, I wrestled between two numbers for years, really, mm-hmm. where sometimes I would take a test and it would kind of put me here, and sometimes I would read this and it would kind of put me there, and it took me a long time to really land um, in a spot that resonated most clearly. Yeah, and, and that's where I would say too, before we even go through this, like just to say, first of all, no type is better than or worse than any other. Uh, one way that you could probably find out which one is your type, and I think this is a common sentiment, when you find out your type, like you'll think all your strengths, you're like, oh my goodness, that's so awesome. Like who wouldn't want to be that? Yeah. But then when you read your weaknesses and your shadow side, you feel like your shadow side is the worst one Absolutely. out of all of them. <laughs> so that's good. That and is a really good test. Th- that's how you know, like, uh, I'm probably that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, because I feel that about mine, and apparently you do too. You're oh, like, absolutely. You're like, this is the worst one. Uh, I, w- I wish I had the weaknesses <laughs> of the other numbers. Yeah, that's a good way to tell. <laughs> exactly. So, so let's just begin with this. Like, there are nine basic types. And um, so we'll just kind of go through one by one. I, I, I'll talk to, like, some core desires and core fears uh, of each one. Um, now, each one of these have a label, and different authors or different books put different labels on them. Um, I, I'll give you my own spin of my own label of each one. But the, the thing that's most helpful is just to associate uh, the characteristics of that type with a number yeah. uh, versus like, well, is it called this or is it called that? that that's less important. Yeah, because so, everybody has kind of their own spin on those, but the mm-hmm. numbers are, are pretty consistent. And just before we get started, if, if anyone is unaware, Sung is very passionate about the Enneagram. It's, <laughs> it's like one of his favorite tools for sort of uh, identifying and, and processing relationship with other people. It is. It, 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 again, I, and I think what you said is key. It's a tool. Um, and, and I think just as, as transformative as discovering your own type is, it, is, it can be super helpful uh, when you understand another person's type yeah. in terms of how, how you approach conversation and dialogue and relationship with yeah. them. Because just understanding they have different needs, yeah. different desires, and different fears Absolutely. than you do. Absolutely. Because by default, what we all do is we just project our own desires and fears onto everybody else and yeah. think they all have that. Yeah. And that's not true. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's good. 
So type one is, is uh, I'll call the idealistic perfectionist. Now, and I know that you said there aren't any numbers that are better than others, but <laughs> I feel like this one, as people hear it, they'll definitely think this is the best one. You're giving yourself away. <laughs> know, right? <laughs> so uh, the idealistic perfectionist, the type one, they have, the, the, they have a need to be perfect, to do things right, to be good, to do good. Uh, and, and their desire is to just have integrity, to be balanced and accurate and virtuous and right in everything they do. That sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and at the core of who they are, the, the thing that they fear is just being bad, wrong, evil, unredeem, uh, unredeemable or corruptible, anything that's the opposite of what we just talked about. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and so their, their core longing is just, um, yeah, they, they want to be good and they want to do right. Yeah. And so, uh, maybe I'll throw this back at you with each of the types, like think of somebody that, you know, that is this type and you don't have to share names, but like, just what's one thing that you really admire uh, about them? So what do you admire about yourself? Nate? Yeah. When I look in the mirror, <laughs> no, one of the, I mean, one of the dark sides of the ones is that we tend to be relentlessly self-critical. So that's hard to answer. But I will say that, that oftentimes ones, um, are sort of like idealistic reformers. And yeah. so if you're looking for someone to sort of take on a cause and just work themselves to the bone to see good happen, ones tend to be that way um, mm -hmm. when they're very healthy. And I think that's admirable. You it know? is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for the uh, number of ones that I know, like they're very principled, they're very purposeful, they're really self-controlled too. And um, they don't like um, sloppiness or error. And so, like you said, they have a nobility in, in trying to bring order mm -hmm. and high standards, not only to themselves, but to the world. Yeah. And so some people call the type one, the reformer because of that. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so that, that's the one, um, the type type twos are what I would call considerate helpers. Uh, they, they, they have a need to be needed. Mm -hmm. They, they want to be liked. They want to be uh, appreciated. Um, they want to be loved and wanted. And so, uh, and their core fear as a considerate helper is they, they, they fear being rejected or unwanted. Nobody needs me. I'm worthless. Um, and, and I'm inconsequential. Yeah. And so when you think of a t some twos in your life, what are some things that really stick out to you about them? Well, I think helpfulness is one of the things that, um, that really stands out. The twos that I know are almost always willing to go the extra mile uh, if, if someone or, or something has a need. And again, that, as I'm not by nature like a tremendously helpful person, <laughs> <laughs> so I really admire it. And there have been times where, where I've been in a season of my life where I just I was just drowning and I didn't know what to do. And in many ways, twos are the ones that step up and just like provide the, the, the hand of rescue that you need in yeah. this type of time. You know, the thing that's really ironic about twos is um, one, of the, the, one of the weaknesses that they, they would uh, give a two is pride, which seems counterintuitive because yeah. you think they're so helpful. They're yeah, yeah. servants, right? Yeah. They, they love to help. But part of it is, is they have this, the compulsion is they want to be needed. Yep. And so sometimes, like, in helping you, it's really great, but especially if, if you don't express gratitude yeah. or, or love and appreciation, yeah. the, the 
this pride builds in yeah. them and they feel like, oh my goodness, how can they not appreciate yep. me? Yep. And it isn't so much that they're expecting reciprocity of no. service, but they are, they can be looking for sort of acknowledgement or, yeah. uh, you know, like you said, praise, thanks. Mm -hmm. kind of yeah, yeah. Actually, let me take a one step back and go back to the one. And you touched upon this, but we'll do this with each type moving forward. You know, uh, like the dark side of the one is like you said, anger or even resentment, right? They, they repress mm -hmm. that anger and it leads to just this continual dissatisfaction about the, the, the you know, low standards or, or the, the out-of-orderness of this world. Um, but that's also what drives them too, yeah. right? Yep. And yep. so, again, you'll see this with each type. Um, number three is um, what I'll call the competitive achiever or the successful achiever. They, they have a need to succeed. And so when you think of the American dream and the typical corporate worker, um, you know, they, they want to outshine others. And so they're efficient and they're, they're driven and really image conscious. And so, but at the core of who they are, what they fear is um, they, they fear being exposed or inco as incompetent or fake or inefficient or, or worthless. They, and they have a dreadful fear of failure. Yeah. It's uh, I think it's, uh, revealing to note that most of the location pastors <laughs> on our staff are threes. Uh, they all are. Yeah, they? they all are. They all are. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and they're they're drawn to those the type of challenges yep. and the type of, in some ways, measurable results that that sort of position, um, you know, requires. Yeah, yeah, and and that can be so good. I mean, that can be, that kind of drive is sometimes needed if you're going to lead a congregation or you you need someone who is driven in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the weaknesses that the Enneagram would put on the, the three, and, and I'll say this too, the, the way they label these weaknesses, some of them just sound terrible, right? Like resentment or pride. And, <laughs> yeah. and again, th actually, this is where um, the Enneagram comes out of the, the seven deadly sins plus two others. Okay. And so uh, again, like this, this is not to say, oh, these are terrible people. Uh, well, although at the core of our being, sinners but yeah. um so deceit is the core struggle of the three because they're always they're so competent they're constantly put on different different hats and different masks yeah. to match the demands that are in front of them and, and so sometimes uh, you know like shortcuts uh, white lies and things like that are pretty easy because yeah. they want to achieve yeah and if and there's a tendency to cover up failure because mm -hmm. they're so success driven so there's deceit there as well yeah yeah you threes no just <laughs> kidding i love you guys <laughs> Uh, the, the four is um, the like romantic creative. Uh, they, they, they have this need to be special, mm -hmm. to be unique and authentic. Um, and, and they just want to be, you know, like, yeah, just stand out as something. Uh, and, and I'll say most, most of the most talented uh, musicians, artists are probably fours yeah. because they feel really deeply. Yeah. Um, they feel the highs really high. They feel lows yep. really low. Yep. And so, and their core fear is just uh, being emotionally cut off or just, they don't want to be 
ordinary. They yeah. don't want to be plain. Uh, they, they feel a strong sense of like, there's something wrong with me. They're, I'm insignificant or flawed. And so that's their fear. And, mm. and so by being creative, they're, the, it's an outlet for them to, to show the world that they are special and unique. Yeah, and that's one of the beauties of, of fours that their need to sort of distinguish themselves as unique drives them into creativity. Yeah. To think of new ways of doing things, to write new music, to create new works of art, to, you know, to figure out new creative ways to sort of stand apart from the crowd, which is why the arts are full of fours. And that's a really good thing. I mean, there's, again, we, there's always a dark side and and I have one of my kids is a four and we, we've lived the dark side, you know, (laughs) but the, the beauty that he brings into our home when he fills our old farmhouse with his violin music, it, uh, it brings tears to my eyes. I'm not even joking. And so there's a, there's a wonderful, wonderful part to a four. Yeah. Yeah, and I know some fours too. And one of the, the the way that Enneagram would label one of their um, vices would be envy. Like you, you feel like you are. There's something wrong with you, and that you're flawed. That something is missing inside of you, and and that you, other people possess qualities that you lack. And so there's just this sense of like, uh, yeah, like you, I am lacking, and other people. Why do other people have what I don't have? Yeah. So that's the, that's the uh, romantic creative. The five is uh, like the quiet specialist or, or the observer. They have a need to understand and to know, to, to be insightful, to be competent. And so they always want to be prepared, especially when it comes to knowing and under, understanding something. Mm-hmm. And so um, their fear is just, uh, they, they, they're also very, like, like I said, they're kind of quiet specialists. Part of their fear is they, they, they don't have a, like, uh, is this a fair way to say it? Like, a high bandwidth for people to be invading their lives relationally or, or in terms of demands. And so they could be very private. They, they, they don't want to be uh, invaded upon and they don't want, they don't want obligations placed on them yeah. because it depletes their energy and their yeah. resources. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, if you're trying to figure out like which is the best computer to buy or <laughs> like, or how do you do like the fives are the ones you want to target, right? They yeah. have an almost, uh, like laser focused or, or a capacity to focus in on one topic or one task or one idea um, in a way that the other numbers just simply can't match. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, if you can find a five that has the information you seek, you know you're going to get it. Yeah, and most fives really are specialized in, in one or more areas. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you might ask them, and if you if you tap that one area that they re- are really passionate about, that's not going to be a short out. conversation. <laughs> no, it's not like watch <laughs> out that it's an endless well. Yeah, and so the the vice for the five is avarice, or that's the old English word for greed, because it's not they're greedy. Like, and again, these words are kind of like yeah, we we need to unpack them. Uh, they're they're greedy when it comes or they're. There, there's greed when it comes to like their energy and their resources. You know, the, one of the great things about fives is like they, they, they're not really high maintenance at all. They, they mm-hmm. pride themselves in being, uh, having very little needs, but um, they're, they're afraid of just being depleted. Yeah. Uh, energy wise, resources wise, or even relationship wise. And so uh, avarice is their kind of uh, vice. Yeah. We live with a five. And in terms of not requiring much, that is 100% accurate. Yeah. <laughs> He's the easiest person we've ever lived with. And we've lived with lots. I'm, I'll get into that. But we've lived with lots of different people. You've lived with some really hard people, too. <laughs> it's true. It's true. 
the, the six is the loyal guardian. They have a need for security and certainty. They want to feel safe. They want to belong. Uh, they want guidance and support. So that, that's their core desire. That's their core need. Their, their core fear is feeling like they're left alone without any support. They don't have guidance or security. Uh, that they're somehow being abandoned or targeted uh, in terms of blame. And so uh, um, they're, they're the people who are really responsible and committed and faithful. Mm-hmm. But they're also the people that will be like, um, you know, like, well, is that the best plan? You know, um, mm-hmm. they'll, 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 they're, they're kind of skeptical in some ways, too. Yeah. Yeah. One of the beauties of the sixes that I know um, is that they have, they bring that same sort of loyalty to their relationships. And so they have an enormous capacity for, to, for friends to be a friend and to make new friends. It almost feels limitless in some ways um, just because loyalty is, is, and the security they bring to a relationship just means that those things don't get dropped, you know, and there's always uh, room for one more. (laughs) <laughs> at least at the sixes I know in my life. It's true. It's true. Their core vice is uh, anxiety. And, and so they, they live in this constant state of apprehension and worry. They're always scanning the horizon, trying to predict what negative outcomes they could prevent. Yeah. And so that uh, on one hand, that, that makes for, like, if you leverage that strength, I mean, that, that makes for a great team player. Yep. Um, at the same time, the dark side is they, they start to imagine every worst case scenario. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, and so for, for sixes, they, 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 they just want to know like, Hey, I am safe. It's so funny. Cause as we're going through these numbers, I'm thinking of the people that I know that are those numbers. I'm like, Oh yeah, that checks out. Yeah, that checks out. Yep. Absolutely. So when you're saying sixes, I have a couple people in my mind and everything you're saying, I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Scanning the horizon, uh, like being super worried about what's going to come next. Absolutely. Yeah. Number seven is uh, the enthusiastic optimist. I love me some sevens. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> Why is that? Well, one of my wife is a seven. Oh, so that helps. yeah. <laughs> that yep. helps. And so is one of your, your, your son, yep. right? Yep. My oldest son is also a seven. So they have a need to experience it all. Yeah. Uh, they just want to take life in. And they at the same on the flip side, they, they have this deep need to avoid pain. Um, and so the, their, their fear, um, I mean, they, so they want to be happy. They want to be satisfied. They want to be content. Their, mm-hmm. their biggest fear is being deprived of any of that yeah. or being trapped in some emotional, painful situations or being bored or being limited or, or missing out on something. Yeah. Fear of missing out. <laughs> FOMO. Yep. Sevens were the originators of FOMO. Legitimately. I'll share a quick story. My wife is a seven and when I get out of bed, she gets out of bed and it doesn't matter how tired she is. Cause I tend to get up early. I'll be like, why don't you just stay in bed? And then just recently she told me she was afraid I was going to have a lot of fun <laughs> like downstairs without her. And I was like, it's like morning. I'm like, walking the dogs and like making coffee she's like i, I just i know you're gonna have fun i have to come down <laughs> oh, <my goodness. laughs> <I> know, man. <laughs> oh man so uh, again their uh, their vice is uh, again we need to unpack this but gluttony it's not because they eat a lot although they can because they, be. they enjoy food yep it can right? be. they they enjoy pleasure yep the, these experiences, they yeah. can be gluttonous of experience. Yes, and that's, and that's what it is. And so uh, they, they feel an emptiness uh, if they don't have that. Mm-hmm. And so they have this insatiable desire to fill themselves up with experiences and, and stimulation and hopes and dreams. And, and they, they want all of those 
like satisfied yeah. and uh that, that's so gluttony in that sense is their vice yeah. so and but sevens also do tend to be the life of the party they are which yep. is really really fun and if you know someone who is always packing their calendar with every type of social engagement there's a good chance that they're a seven yeah. that tends to be a pretty distinct marker yeah and like you were saying they're very playful excitable uh they're very agile um, but also, I mean, th- this comes with being adventurous, too. They could be kind of scattered or escapist. Yeah. Um, eight. Uh, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that music's for, but <laughs> the active controller. <laughs> it's because song is an eight, in, oh. case you didn't, in case you didn't pick up on that. <laughs> they have a need to be strong, to be in control, and to challenge. Uh, so they're usually pretty assertive, self-confident, and intense. Um, and, and, you know, every once in a while, every blue moon, confrontational. Could be. <laughs> every once, sometimes, <laughs> here and there. So um, they they have this fear of being weak, of being uh, soft. Um, I, I just said that to somebody the other day. He was saying to me, Sung, I love you, da 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 And I said, Rod, don't make me say squishy things back to you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, it's also fear, uh, being taken advantage of control or being harmed by others. So, um, go ahead. I was just going to say without eights, I don't think that like the wheels of industry or entrepreneurship would roll forward. I, I I just don't think so. The, the, the thing that eights tend to have that I admire is sort of this ability to kind of like. Uh, like full steam ahead, sort of regardless of of what is going on, to push through obstacles and to um, sort of be unaffected by criticism in some ways. Um, and uh, and it's good. I mean, again, the world needs eights. It's true that eights come with a lot of conflict in general, <laughs> but the, the, I mean, the world needs eights. The world needs all of these numbers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so uh, the vice for the eight is uh, the vice of lust or excess. And so they constantly want uh, uh, intensity of interaction and conversation. Uh, they want control. They want power. They, they will push themselves and uh, to the brink of exhaustion. It, it, it just reminds me of the time that we were at, at some sort of like workshop or something like that. And you came into my room at nine at night, which is like my bedtime, right? I'm a <laughs> farmer. You're like, so I thought maybe we could take a little time and blah, blah, blah. You like had this whole like agenda that you wanted to talk through. And I was like, man, I appreciate it, bro. But could we just maybe table that until tomorrow oh, morning? I am sorry. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. We're close enough that I can just tell you to back off. I, I, I do that to my wife her bedtime is about that time too and and i've learned over the years 20 years of marriage right like i i would often come in right as she's like about to like settle in (laughs) be like oh good you're sitting down and then you're just like rolling and and and, man she's so patient in the early years she would just listen and over time i just realized oh okay like she gets glazed over and she's and she's on the brink of like just dying because just for lack of sleep right (laughs) And as an eight, I'd be like, bro, be quiet. I need some sleep. Get out of my room. Right, right. Which I, it's been good for me to realize that's kind of the cue you're looking for, you know? And so that that makes it work. Yeah. And finally, the nine is the uh, peaceful mediator. Um, They have a need to avoid and and to keep uh, harmony and balance. And so they want this stability and peace of mind. So you you don't want to have an eight and a nine get into an argument. 
well, the nine doesn't want to be in the argument with the right. eight because they're just going to get steamrolled. Right. And so the, they're actually, so the, that, that speaks to exactly the core fear of a nine is they, they fear being in conflict. They fear tension and discord. They, they, they fear being neglected. And ironically, they're the easiest to neglect yeah. because yeah. they're often like sitting in the background, but, but, but they can also be really relational. They, one of their fears is losing connections with other people. So these people make, again, like, like peaceful mediator, like, like the label, they are the ones that want to bring harmony and peace yeah. to the world. Yep. And because of that, they, they tend to have a real significant depth, a depth of thought, yeah. a depth of, of process. They're, they tend to be deep thinkers. And because, I mean, harmony is hard to find, right? If you really, if you really are driving to create harmony, you're going to look at a situation every which way to figure out how it's going to work. And so the nines that I have encountered tend to be really deep thinkers. They are. And oftentimes in a public setting, they're often the last people to ever speak of. And sometimes you actually need to say, now, yep. wait a minute, well, you haven't said anything yeah. and they will actually have the key yeah, to yeah. kind of making it all click. Yeah. And so their vice is sloth. Uh, again, they have this, um, they, they want to keep the peace. They, they're, pr- they're pretty easygoing, which is what I love about them. And, um, they're, they're, they're not, they're not going to get they're, You're not going to ruffle their feathers too much. They, mm-hmm. they can, at, at the same time, like they, yeah, because they're so easy going, uh, they're not, they, they, they tend not to kind of push their opinions or thoughts yeah. onto others. And again, so they're really considerate. They're really peaceful at the same time like that. If you want to leverage the nine, you, you need to say, Hey, you know, because they're so accommodating, they're so receptive, they're so thoughtful and, and reassuring that sometimes you need to say, hey, like, what, what, what's your opinion? Yeah, what do you want? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ex- yeah. Because they're the, they're the types that would be like, oh, no, no, whatever you want. Exactly. No, 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 whatever oh, you want. Man. I also have a kid who's a nine, and that is like, it's like you're quoting her directly. <laughs> I, I I talked to one couple and they're both nines. Oh my gosh! And how can they, you ma- how do they get anything done? I know. And they they've said literally they're like song. We sit here and go. Oh, let's you know you want to go out to eat? yeah sure whatever you want. No no, no I want to do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's a real quick summary. But here, a few things that I'll say about this, like understand because you may have heard them go like oh yeah I resonate with that one. Oh, well, this one too. Well, that, that one kind of sounds like me. Like everyone has a little of every type within them. Yeah. But the type that is the strongest compared to the rest is considered your type. And so if you had that experience of like, oh yeah, this sounds like me too. Like, uh, welcome to the journey. Yeah. And that's exactly what this is. Sure. It's, it's a journey. And because you're influenced by the numbers that your parents were or, the, yeah, I mean, all sorts of things in like help you pick up those characteristics from all over the place of different numbers. Yeah. Yeah. So like even like Nate, you were saying this too, and I had a similar journey too. It, it took some time for me to figure out what my type was. Yeah. Like my wife actually knew all the way from the beginning. She's oh, like, Sung, you're really? an eight. You're an eight. You're an eight. I'm like, no, I'm not. Because this is the thing too. And we'll, this is another thing we'll talk about in, in the episodes to come. Like most eights in the world come off really unhealthy. So they're the bossy kind of the, kind of the really dictatorial types. And I'm like, dude, like that, that just, that, that's just so bad. I don't want to be that. Yeah, yeah. And so, and in fact, I had a lot of people mistype me. So I remember one one person was like, "Son, you're a five. I've never seen so many people with so many books in the world. Mm-hmm. Like you're a five. Um, and, and so, this is one of the dangers and reminders is is um, don't type yourself or other people based on their behavior. Yeah. Because the one thing that's really unique about the Enneagram that I, I think outside of uh, other personality assessments is this goes to your motivation. 
your core desire, your core fears. And so two people can ex uh, act the exact same way. But get there from really different paths. Yeah. Yeah, really different motivations or fears or whatever. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I know uh, one of my, uh, my, my <laughs> I was going to say one of my wife's best friends. <laughs> my wife's, one of her best friends is a six, but she's really social. And if you, if you just looked at her behavior, you'd be like, oh, she's a seven. Yeah. No, oh, she's a six. Yeah. Because her, what drives her is very different from being a seven. And so um, that's one of the dangers. And so somebody said, oh, you're, you're, you're a five. And, and so for a while, I was like, oh, I don't know about that. And, and then later on, I, I thought, well, I'm a three. I, I'm, I'm driven. I'm hard charging. Mm -hmm. But the more and more I kind of looked into it, the more there were large parts of that. I was like, well, because I could be really image conscious. Their shame is a really big feeling that they have about who they are. And, and I was just like, oh, maybe, maybe I'm just in denial and this and that. Right. And my wife would be like, son, you're an eight. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to be an eight. <laughs> I don't want to be an eight. They're, yeah. they're just bossy jerks, you know? And literally it was when I read, and this is another thing that we'll talk about in the weeks to come, but we're just kind of doing surface level. Once I read uh, a particular subtype uh, of an eight, I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is the other feeling that you get is I read that description and I felt naked. Ah. And I said to Amy, oh my goodness, I don't want people to read this <laughs> because they will know everything about me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, again, that, that's also another way to tell like, Oh, if you feel exposed, that, that, that's probably you. That's so that, that's one danger. And one reminder is it's about motivation, not behavior. Let me throw out one other danger and, and, and reminder. Cause, uh, oftentimes when people get introduced to the Enneagram, they, they say something like, wow, you're putting me in a box. You know, how, how can you characterize yeah. people in, in nine different personality types? Remember, this is a mirror. It's, it's not a box. Um, and what I mean by mirror, it's exactly what we talked about earlier. Like the Enneagram is a tool for your own self-transformation. Uh, yeah. Um, it, it's first and foremost best used when you apply it to help you identify and expose areas of your own vice and to give you uh, pointers to how to grow into greater wholeness and healing into who you are. Mm -hmm. So that's what a mirror does. Yeah, and, and, and one of the things that the Enneagram does that I so appreciate is that they, they talk about the spectrum between unhealthy and healthy and the behaviors of any number look really different, yeah. you know? So it's not, it's not about behavior and it's not about saying you will only ever always do this right. as you get healthier um, or as you get stressed, you'll see those things shift. And so it's not a box. It really is sort of like a way of viewing your, your own motivations, fears, behaviors. Yeah. The way that I've heard it said is rather than putting you into a box, it shows you how small or limited your box is and it empowers you to actually step outside the box. Yeah. And so, uh, one last warning that, and this is a pretty, uh, common thing that I see. And I'll say it this way. Do not use the Enneagram as a sword or as a shield. And what I mean by that is, Nate, you're a one you know, uh, and dictating to you how you should act. Yeah. Like that's a sword. I, I'm attacking you yeah. using this tool and putting you in a box. Yep. Uh, so don't use Enneagram as a sword, but also don't use it as a shield. And, and um, again, eights, probably all of us, but eights, I, I think are favorite. It's like, well, I'm an eight. So I, I, you know, I'm supposed to be angry. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's like, no, like that, that's not right. like, or I you, wish I could be a better husband or whatever, but I'm a one. And so this is what you get kind right. of thing. And yeah. that's, that's using it as a shield instead of taking responsibility for your own behavior. Yeah. And, and one other different metaphor, uh, when it comes to like, whether it's a box or whatever is like, and, uh, one author, Ian Crom, Cron, he wrote a popular book on Enneagram called, uh, the road back to you. He uses an analogy that I, I steal and cause I think it's genius. He says, um, cause it's like, how, how, how does one tool describe like the complexity of a human soul or humanity? And he was like, if you've ever gone to a paint shop and you're looking for a very specific shade of red, like, you know, saying you're a type nine might be like, well, you're, you're blue, mm. but there are so many, yeah. I mean, have you ever tried painting your, your room and trying to find a particular right. paint and color? And you're looking at those little cards and it's just the slightest bit different, but you're like, oh, it's too green or it's too pink. or yeah. Too, yeah. And so like, I think that's a genius in, in analogy. Like, yeah, you may fall under the blue category. You may be a nine, but man, yeah, like no, and this is why we often say the Enneagram is a tool. I know some people who are like, this is the tool, mm. you know, right. and when you do that, like, the, the human soul is way too complex to distill it down to one tool like the Enneagram. But like we talked about last time, it's a really helpful model. Yeah, It's a helpful model for spiritual direction, for, for discipleship, for your own growth and, and to become in becoming more like Christ. And uh, like, like we talked about, it's, it's a really helpful tool as it relates to uh, relationships. Like, uh, like uh, again, we've hinted at this, but like I know if I'm going to uh, a person and they are a particular type, I know like I, I don't want to, um, while I may know somebody's type, that is the beginning of a journey. That is not the end. Yeah. You don't say, oh, well, you're a one, so this and this and that. But okay, I know Nate is a one, so I need to be very deliberate about what we talk about. Yeah, and it gives you markers that you can look for to know, am I am I making contact or am I speaking in a way that this person is able to understand and receive? Or, you know, it just is a little, It's it provides a little bit of some wide boundary markers to help navigate a relationship. Yeah, man, we, this, this I is I know great. we're going on and on and on. I this know. is so good. I mean, the last thing that I want to say before we wrap up is that one of the most exciting things about this uh, season is that we're going to have guests. We're mm -hmm. going to try to bring in <laughs> a stereotypical number for each of the uh, each of the Enneagram types just to ask them what's it like from the inside, mm -hmm. you know, to experience life as a six or a five or a seven. So look for additional voices in future weeks. Thanks so much for sticking with us this far. Can't wait to keep rolling.